0: Hello St. Lucers, and welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's uh, as we look at this week's text from the Gospel of Luke in our new worship series, Redefined Kindness. I'm Pastor Melissa and today we are going to be looking at a very familiar passage from Luke's Gospel. Now, this is one of the stories that is only found in Luke's gospel, and one of the stories that is the reason many of us find ourselves declaring that this is our favorite gospel. Now, if you want to follow along in your Bible, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 15 this week. We begin with verses 1 and 2, and then we will jump to verse 11. It starts with, All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then we jump ahead to verse 11. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the inheritance. And then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There, he wasted his wealth through extravagant living When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him and kissed him. And then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. And the servant replied, Your brother has arrived, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction. That you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found." Now, this is probably a familiar story to you, isn't it? Chances are you know it by the title, The Prodigal Son or The Prodigal Child. But there's a few titles it's been given, because one of the key questions that we often play with when we are preaching or teaching on this text is who exactly is this story about? Is it the younger son and his prodigalness and his repentance? Is it the father who is generous and grace filled? Or is it the older brother who just doesn't seem to get it? You know, how we title it tells us how we want to interpret it. And so the fact that we often just call it the prodigal son um, goes ahead and and tells us where we want to, to place our attention. One commentator gives it a title to try and encompass all of these and calls it the prodigal son, the waiting father and the elder brother. But regardless of what we title it, there's a reason we all seem to know this story and a reason it's so widely used and wrestled with. So today we're gonna try and remove these titles, so I want you to set aside your understanding this as the, quote, prodigal son story, and just listen and begin to understand the gospel message within it. So we're gonna take each of these characters and and look at them individually, and maybe by the end of this you'll have uh, another idea of who you think the main character of the story is. So first we have the younger son. Now this is the character we, of course, talk about most in the story based on that usual title that we give it, but let's look closer at some of the key points we see when we're talking about this particular character. Now The younger son asks his father for his inheritance early. Now The way that society worked in this time was that your livelihood, your well-being, everything was centered around relationship. That's how inheritance was determined, that's how your safety nets were created. So by asking for his inheritance early, he's not only asking for something that would have been unusual for social custom, but he's actually breaking social covenants to not only receive at the appropriate time, but to help support the family through that relationship as well. You know, much of Palestinian society, as we've talked about in previous weeks, um, was based around systems of honor and shame. And so that's a huge theme throughout this story, especially centering around this younger son Simply by breaking this social covenant, he was bringing shame to his family. But it doesn't stop there, because we hear that his behavior once he leaves home with his inheritance continues to fly in the face of the honor codes in his society. As the text says, he was wasting his wealth through extravagant living. So strike two on his honor in the community and by extension, his family's honor. And then, once he has fully squandered what he receives, he finds himself in the lowest possible position hiring himself out to a gentile and ending up caring for pigs so yet again strike three working for a gentile and feeding swine which was an abomination in jewish law now this is where he finds himself at a crossroads it's also where we find ourselves at a crossroads to decide how we feel about this particular character We hear him rehearse a speech to give to his father upon his return. And as we read this speech, we have to wonder, is it sincere? Because what we want, and often what we choose to interpret here, is that the son is truly repentant. He realizes his choices have brought dishonor on him and his family, that he has disrespected his father, that he has broken God's law, and he wants to make amends. Now, our hope is usually that the son has grown in his faith and that his prodigal spending will be overtaken by prodigal loving. But there's also the possibility that he has just reached the end of his rope and has no other option. The text simply tells us that he came to himself or came to his senses, and this could mean a couple of things. It could mean that he's reclaiming his identity, with the term of coming to himself uh, being something that acknowledges the Imago Dei in him, the image of God, the identity as being part of his family, and he has become willing to admit his error and return to his heritage. And so he rehearses his speech, not to ask to become a son again, but to be a servant in his father's home. He has hit rock bottom, not only in his living situation, but also emotionally and spiritually. And he's realized the consequences of his actions are also affecting his family. But there's another possibility. It's a more cynical one, of course, that maybe he realized that his current trajectory just meant he was going to crash and burn. And so this was the only option he had left. He realized he had squandered what he was given. But even so, no matter how tirelessly he labored, there was a famine in this land. And in this community he had found himself in, he didn't have any standing. He had no relationship, none of what he had in his home village, and that he would never be able to get anywhere on his own. He may have found himself stuck in an unmanageable reality, realizing that independence was not only a bad or shameful concept, but also not actually achievable for him. Now, regardless of his sincerity or his motivation, he knew that he wouldn't be coming back to a welcoming scene. That shame and honor culture would play out fully upon his return. You see, this son had brought shame on his father and his family, so he can expect to be shamed by the village, too. Because see, his, his decision doesn't just affect him, it doesn't just affect his family, it affects the whole village, because it puts his family's ability to make a living at risk his actions have undermined his family's honor and potentially soured their relationships with their neighbors his actions are not just about him they're about his whole social ecosystem so he knew upon his return the townspeople would not be throwing a party they would actually be more likely to host a specific ceremony that was done at this time um, for a son of the village who had lost money to gentiles or married an immoral woman And in this ceremony, they would gather around him, breaking jars with corn and nuts, and declare that he was to be cut off from the village. His entry into the village would be humiliating, as his former community expressed their anger and resentment toward his actions. But that actually isn't the scene we see as Jesus paints this parable. It's not at all what we see, because that's when we really get to see clearly the second character in the story. We have the father. Now, there's a great argument to be made that the father is the main character in this story. um, Because when we are introduced to the two other characters, they are called sons and not brothers. It implies that their relationship to their father is what is most important. This also brings back memories of other brother relationships and how they wrestled with God and with one another and with their parents. Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, and there's tradition in many of those stories that the younger son is favored so hearers and early readers of this parable might not have been that surprised to see the father give in to his son's request even so it's a dramatic moment the literal translation of verse 12 is that he divided his life between his sons but we really see who the father's character is when his younger son returns Because upon his son's return, seeing his misery, he doesn't start with an I told you so. He doesn't suggest that his redemption will come at a later time when he has paid for his sins. Instead, this father runs, runs and embraces his child at the road, still out in the prodigal wilderness, if you will. He embraces his son fully in that moment. Now in the social constructs we've already talked about, This man owes his son nothing. He fulfilled every one of his obligations as a father, prematurely, when he divided his assets and gave half to the boy. So when it comes to an honor or shame society, choosing honor would have likely been to turn the younger son away. There might have even been shame in his action of running excitedly toward him. After all, his son, even in the best of times, would have been seen as inferior to him in rank and status. His behavior is strange for that social structure. Fathers do not run to their children. This might be something a mother would do, as well as the kiss that he gives. So those villagers waiting to shame his son would have had reason to bring shame upon the father now as well. But the father sets all of that aside and takes the action that his compassion drives him toward. He exposes himself to humiliation to protect his son from humiliation. He puts aside dignity and power and position for the good of another. And as his son tries to begin his carefully rehearsed speech, sincere or not, the father doesn't even need to hear it. He immediately begins issuing orders to servants to prepare a banquet. He gives his son a robe, a mark of distinction. He gives him a signet ring, a sign of belonging and authority in the family. He gives him shoes only worn by someone who was free. He not only makes it clear to his son that he belongs and is welcome in his home, but he makes it clear to the entire community that there is no shame to be had here. There is only joy and only celebration. There is a decent argument to be made that the father here is the centerpiece of this story. That this is a story of a a father who never stops loving his child, no matter his actions, no matter his choices, no matter how he has brought shame or hurt to him or the family. His motivations are always compassion and love, while his son's motivations all pivot around money. He's actually a pretty terrible financial advisor, but he shows us a witness of love for human persons over money or possessions. But we can't stop here. Because the banquet is not the end of the story. The father's love for his younger son is not the end of the story. We get one more character to consider. We finally have the older son. Now, there have been some pretty great sermons preached on this older son figure. Now, often we like to compare ourselves to the younger son because we want to know that we can be forgiven by God, that no matter how far we go away, that we can always come back and be welcomed with open arms. But chances are that those of us who have grown up around the church, those of us who have been around a long time, we more often find ourselves starting from the mindset of this older son. When he sees what his father has offered to his younger brother, not at the beginning where he was sure to get an equal share, but at the end, where it seems that fairness has been thrown out the window by his irresponsible father. The older son is not too pleased. Like the beginning of the story where the younger son's place is characterized by distance, we see another kind of distance as the older son refuses to enter the house where the banquet is taking place. And like with his younger son, the father goes to his older son as well. His compassion is consistent. Now, in the conversation, the older son doesn't use relational names to identify his younger brother. He calls out his father by naming um, him this son of yours. And again, showing the break in social structure that had taken place. And yet the father reminds this older son that the relationship was never and will never be broken by first calling him son, and then responding about the younger son, calling him this brother of yours. We know that there's a connection here. And this character is essential to the story because the chapter begins with those first two verses we read. There's a reason we read those in leading into this story because we have a reminder of those scribes and Pharisees who were upset about who Jesus was spending time with. The elder brother here is there to unmask those Pharisees and legal experts who have missed the point entirely about whose side God is on. And like the context of the parable, we don't have a specific resolution to the story of the elder brother. We don't know if he goes to join in the celebration. We also don't know if the younger brother follows through on his repentant speech. But like the question of who is the main character in the parable, the rest of the story is for the reader to decide. Now this parable is a favorite because it hits all the best storylines that connect with us as humans. Adolescent rebellion, alienation from family, the appeal of the new and foreign, the consequences of foolish living, the warmth of home remembered, the experience of self-encounter, awakening and repentance, the joy of reunion, the power of forgiveness, the dynamics of brotherly love, the contrast between relationships of merit and relationships of love. As I said at the beginning, there's a reason. It's one of the most well-known parables. But this week, we're focusing on the, context of the concept of witness in worship. What does it mean to redefine the word witness in light of this gospel? After wrestling with these and taking away those titles that we often give it, if you were to choose a main character, which one helps you best define the idea of witness from a Christian perspective? Which character do you think is the protagonist? Just one thought, I wonder if it could be that we are to consider ourselves in all three relationships as far as witness is concerned. That once we have received god's forgiveness and abundance like the younger son we have a choice to make as to what our future witness becomes will it be more like the father because we have been offered that grace ourselves and we want to create a grace-filled world full of abundance and love and welcome or will it be like the older brother a little stingy with what we have already received and resentful of others who are given grace I look forward to hearing your wrestlings with this story as we continue throughout our week learning, living, loving, and leading our lives following Jesus. See you on Sunday.
1: St. Luke's, we're so glad that you are joining us. Um, We have a very special um, podcast that we want to share with you. We have an incredible gift. um, Barbara Monsanga, did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. Thank you. Perfect. Um, Who is the director of our Zimbabwe Zoe program is with us. Um, We've been involved with Zoe Empowers for many years, and we're so excited to be able to get to talk to Barbara today. We're also joined um, by some St. Lucers. Let's have them introduce themselves. Miriam, we'll start with you.
2: Good morning, St. Luke's. Uh, my name is Mary Manguste and I serve at St. Luke's as the Executive Director of Missions, which includes the Zoe Ministry.
3: And I am Ann Eppinger. I'm a layperson, a member of St. Luke's, and I am the Zoe core team leader at St. Luke's. I've also been on the Zoe Empowers National Board, and I advocate for Zoe and churches around the state of Florida. Our family has been involved with Zoe since 2010. So we're big believers and excited to be with you this morning.
1: Barbara, we're so glad that you're chatting with us because we have learned so much from Zoe over the last, gosh, it's been a decade maybe, almost close to a decade that we've been involved. And so we just tell us a little bit about yourself, Barbara, and your work with Zoe first.
4: I don't know where to start from, but uh, uh, I thank God for having been one of those staff members, the best uh, staff members to join uh, Zoe Empowers uh, since 2011. And uh, we've grown in terms of staff. We now have seven uh, project facilitators. We also have uh, an accounting person. We also have uh, a communications officer. We started off our program in Makoni district and we moved into Mutare district and we are now in uh, Mutasa, Mutasa district. And over the years we have grown and we have uh, received a lot of uh, commendation about the good work that ZOE Empowers is doing. Unlike other organizations that are more of relief, ZOE Empowers is an empowering project that has made a huge footsteps in the communities that we have worked. And more importantly, the issues to do with the social exclusion for the vulnerable has uh, actually been addressed by the ZOE Empowers Model, which actually identifies the vulnerable and rests them on a, a solid rock. I think you can uh, read uh, in um, Psalms 40, verse one to three. He lifted me up from a slimy pit and rested me on a hard surface. This is what uh, Zoe has done in the communities that you have been working with.
1: That is so beautiful because we have so many people in our country that are excluded, they're pushed out, even from churches, even from God, they say. And and you have shown us how everyone is welcome at a table and everyone has a voice. How many children do you work with, at Zodian, who are vulnerable?
4: The number of uh, children that we work with at the moment, we are working with 75 groups seventy-two groups, and uh, each uh, group constitutes plus or minus thirty children, thirty households. And then the number of uh, household, uh, the number of households also is about two thousand
1: one hundred and sixty. That's that's the total number of children we are working with. That's amazing, and yes. and I know we have some questions um, we're going to get to, but I just. In a snapshot, and could you, you take these children into a three year program, correct? Yes. Correct. And, and what, are the, what is it that you are teaching these children of all ages, really? We're teaching them love.
4: We're teaching them unity. We're teaching them to work together and uh, see each other as one community, one household. Remember they are coming from a background of vulnerability where they used to be excluded in every activity within the community. They were isolated. They were regarded as thieves because they never had anything. They were exploited of their labor because they would work in people's floors for for a plate of a, a meal per day. So coming together we teach them how to depend on each other, how to empower themselves, how not to overtrust, but to create love that should bind themselves together.
1: Well, you just preached our sermon for Sunday. So thank you, Barbara. As usual, whenever you speak, I'm in tears. <laughs> so we, we
4: cover uh, different categories uh, under the Zoe program. And, uh, Uh, for what is important to us is to ensure that they come out of their poverty. That's why you find we introduce issues to do with income generating activities at household level, as a family, and also at group level, so that they begin to work together and share expertise and skills among themselves and then transfer them to their household where they will be able to implement the ideas that they come up with at group level. We also talk about food security because remember they used to go and uh, uh, work in people's fields maybe for very little because they were exploited. So we, we teach them to be food secure. And one of the strengths uh, under the ZOE program is that in their first year, Upon recruitment, they get uh, food, uh, they get seed and fertilizer so that they can grow the main cereal, which is sadza, which is very common. And once that is done, be- but before they get those uh, uh, seed and fertilizer, they are trained on how to farm properly so that they can uh, get the use that they want. So that is food security is another key thematic area. We also teach them health, good health, uh, health and hygiene. Uh, Again, coming from a background of poverty, uh, going for a bath, brushing teeth, combing your hair is a legend because you don't have the soap, you don't have the toothpaste, you don't have the the comb to comb your hair. So we also teach them uh, about health and hygiene so that they become acceptable amongst themselves and within the community. We also encourage them to practice uh, good hygiene and good uh, health standards. If they fall sick, traditionally and uh, historically, they would go to traditional healers, or they will just go into the bush and get a, a shrub or a herb to treat whatever ailments they will be going through. But when we, do, when we then uh, introduce Zoe to them, we teach them how they can access uh, good uh, medical treatment for any ailments that they will be going through. So we teach them also how to eat well from the nutrition gardens that we will teach them how to grow good food and vegetables that they can eat with the, with the cereal sada. Mm. Teach them that, and during malaria times, we also teach them to protect because malaria is one of the biggest killer in our country. We teach them how to protect themselves from malaria. And now we're teaching them how to protect themselves from COVID-19. And uh, this has worked tremendously. You would want to know that uh, Zoe went outside the normal funding and fundraised for COVID uh, assistance for our children. COVID came unprepared for everyone. So we managed to give them the necessary training around the health, so that they protect themselves. And some of the children started uh, sewing uh, masks, and they sold for the they they, they, they sew, uh masks for their other members and for other community members. They would sell at a, a subsidized level. They also helped in uh, uh, propagating the information. Uh, selling the information on how important it is to always mask up, to always wash hands. And we also issued them with uh, tapping buckets, which is an innovation that came from the children where at every household you would get a tapping basket, which would have uh, water that can be used to wash the hands. So that's about health. I can go on and on around health. We also teach them about education, access to education because you cannot talk about empowerment without talking about education. So we talk to them because the heads of all those households would have pulled out of school long back. So we invite them to come up with income generating projects so that they can send their siblings to school. And we also have a budget on education, which is provided for by the Zoe Empowers. We also identify under housing, we also believe that uh, if they have uh, adequate shelter, not fancy shelter, but decent, so that they can also house themselves and their siblings in decent homes. So, upon the recruitment, when we recruit them, we also identify those children whose uh, houses are condemned, because some of the shelter that they come from uh, is condemned. No one would ever think that a human being is coming from there. So mm-hmm. we. Them for renovation, and uh, the other thing is uh, we also emphasize on uh, vocational skills training as a biggest form of uh, of uh, empowerment because that has changed lives in the community where we have our our beneficiaries getting in carpentry, in welding, in dressmaking, and um, they also uh, learn how to, uh, and, and also they, they learn how to do other skills like hairdressing. Uh, they, they have existing skills, but they are polished up and then they become more marketable. But because Zoe is so biblically uh, founded, we teach them about the spiritual well being. At every meeting, They start off with a prayer session and they share the word of God and they close with a prayer. So, the spiritual uh, well being of uh, each child in the Zoe program is very important. And uh, right now, they are guided at every group of Jeremiah 29, verse 11. That motivates them to Mm. look forward to a better future because their work they know is grounded in the word of God. And they know the majority of people who are supporting the Zoe Empowers program, they belong in churches, they come from churches. So they know the connection that is there between the the Zoe Empowers partners and the the Zoe beneficiary is through the word of God. They believe it is a relationship that was, created by God for the sustenance of humankind.
1: Thank you so much. That's so powerful. And it really speaks to who we are as Methodists, the wholeness of a child and the wholeness of people that we have to empower people means means all of those things that you talked about, healthcare and hygiene and education. So one of the things, uh, Anne, tell us, tell us your, one of the things that I understand that you first do with children, and I I got to meet some of them when I was in Rwanda, is this idea of a dream chart. Exactly. Um, And you saw some, right? Pardon? Yeah. You saw some dream charts and how empowering that was. Can you tell us, Barbara, how you use those dream charts with the children? Apparently,
4: they brought their own dream charts, and uh, I don't know whether it is visible from this side. Can you see? Yes. You can. Mm-hmm. The dream chart is uh, what makes them sad. That is the first all. Because as you will be implementing the project, you also want to ensure that some of their mental wellness is also addressed. So we are aware of their backgrounds. So we want to know, in the first column here, what made you say? And uh, what is it? Uh, I'm just asking, uh, uh, Panache. here, what made him say? Perhaps You can explain to me, and then I will translate. What made you say? But I can see a coffin here, the coffin of your parents. Yeah, you lost both your parents. You lost both your parents. So in this case, the dream chart for most of us, you would see a coffin, a coffin with a cross of their parents. That usually is characteristic of every child who is in the Zoe program. And then you go to the second. So as you go, as you uh, recruit them, you also want to address their mental challenges so that they begin to see a future a good future, even in the absence of their parents. So the col- the second column will be what I like. And, and you can see what I like. Can you see something there? Yes, we sure can. Yes. yes. So what, what he says, Yeah. what he likes, he likes playing football. He also likes to have a house. To, he loves church. That's a church with a. Cross, and then this one is on. He also loves reading a novel. And this one, he also loves to watch television. Do you have a television now? So it's something that he dreams of, but currently he enjoys going to church, watching, playing soccer and uh, reading novels as well as dreaming to have a television. And once he works hard in his income generating projects, he will be able to buy a television and enjoys himself. The third column is this one. What I, what I do not like. Can you see that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Let me. And uh, I'm asking him what he doesn't like. What is it that you don't like? Mm-hmm. He says you can see two people here. He says he doesn't like. Fighting to see people who are fighting. And then this one. He says he doesn't like uh, people who drink beer and he doesn't like to drink beer himself. And then this one. Beaten snake. He doesn't like to be beaten by snakes. Apparently, snakes are a common, it's a common, a common phenomenon in our rural areas and many children, even adults, they get bitten by snakes. So he doesn't like
1: snakes. I don't like snakes either. So we're in good company.
4: All right. (laughs) And then the last uh, column before we go to the values is uh, this one, dream of the future. What What do you see yourself in the future? So he says, what do you want? He says he wants to build a big house. We mm. have cows, and he. Yeah. He says he wants to help his siblings go back to school, and he. Yeah. He says he wants to have enough food to eat, and he. Yeah. He says he also wants to uh, learn uh, mechanical engineering. Motor mechanics. And then here. Yeah. And then he also points out to having enough clothes and shoes. That is his dream. So this is the characteristic uh, of uh, a dream chart in every child. And then the, the middle column talks about the guiding principles. What guides you? What should guide you? for you to be able to achieve the desired future and to experience his dream. He says, uh, praying, he believes so much in prayer, he feels God will hear him and he will resource his ways. And uh, he also says, working very hard. He says, if he puts enough effort and works hard, he will be able to realize his dreams he also says determination. He says he's a focused person. And if he remains focused and determined, he will be able to realize a future that he has explained. So basically, the dream chart named, uh, Zoe workers, the project facilitators, to understand from day one what the child is almost like a planning tool what he wants to do in the future. And uh, what, 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 how we use the dream chart is that at every stage when they make home, when we make home visits to these children, we also want to check how much of their desires they've achieved. In some children, you realize within the three years, we tell them if the program is only for three years and your dream design should be achieved within three years so at every stage we monitor how much of what you wrote down have you achieved and in some cases where you find a determined and focused child you find that uh, what they had planned to uh to achieve in third year can actually be achieved in the second year so they continue to grow the list because once you achieve one item or second items, you continue to grow until the program is finished. So that we continue to motivate them to work hard and achieve more for themselves because ZOE is intended to to be implemented within three years. So for ZOE workers, this is a monitoring and evaluation tool, something that we use each time we visit the children. And as we go to each household, We expect them to have it against the wall. We we can just check if they now have a house, if they now have cows, if they have enough clothing, according
1: to their dream chart. That's amazing. Yeah. And Anne, you've gotten to travel and see those dream charts on the
3: walls, haven't you? Absolutely. I think you and I have too. Frequently, they're on a business. They're on a... Uh, on a home wall. They're proudly displayed. And it is really cool what Barbara said, because the kids, you can see a check mark beside one of the dreams. And then there's another dream behind it. And sometimes there's a list of checks that people have achieved dreams. I love it because it's practical. It's looking backwards at, you know, where the children have come from, but it's helping them look forward with an
1: achievable plan. I love it. Right. And it really so, gets to this is where I come from. And this could be something that's fearful that I hide away. But you all bring it to the forefront and say, no, when we bring it to the light, there's nothing to be afraid of because we can move to the future. I just love that, Barbara. That's really and, uh, It's
4: actually a, a pictorial presentation of yeah. what they have in mind. And they are determined because the, the said part is uh, the first color. So uh, they are determined to move to where there's positive life. And um, it, it brings a sense of responsibility and accountability. They should be able to account for every activity that they are doing so that they check even on their own, whether they are still in line to achieve that special dream that they see themselves in the vision. So at the end of the day, you have a vision of where the child is going. And as you see the progress that they will be making, you can rest assured that this child will realize their dreams because of the progress that they are making at household level. They also it also helps them, the dream chart helps them to keep focused because right. they they look at it and it's stuck on their walls. So they always have a look at the dream chart and they can easily whip themselves back into line if they realize that they are falling far much away from what their dream is about. Uh, And in the dream chat, when they visit and they have mutual groups meetings, they also check on each other's chat. And they have moments of celebration. Oh, you have already achieved this, this is quick. How did you do it? So it's a moment of sharing as well with their colleagues
1: in the group. That leads me to another question that we wanted to talk about. Um, you've had eighty to one hundred children work together over three years. They are so tight knit, and you drew it. They are a family. They empower one another, which is biblical. It's it's how we understand what it means to be a neighbor, which we in America kind of struggle with. Um, there's a lot of competition and we don't necessarily always work together. How, what, is, what is the secret behind what you do with those children?
4: Um,
1: the group projects. Mm. group
4: projects where they work together. They also develop constitutions and they know how to do constitutions like a, an understanding right. of what each member should abide by. So they also have fines that they introduce. If a member fails to attend meetings, there's a a fine. And if a member absenting themselves, is something that, that is drawn by the members themselves. They agree together to say, this is what we are going to observe as a group. So they do projects together and that brings unity like a nutrition garden. They will be taking turns to come to, the, to water the garden. They will, they will harvest it together. If they are selling to the market, they sell together. If they realize the profits, they share amongst themselves. And also, they've also come up with the idea of saving, what they call table banking, where they contribute some money in a pot. And members can come and borrow. If one has a project and needs more money, they can come and borrow and then return it on a fee. And they have rules and regulations that guides that. They also uh, have team building exercises. They can uh, form teams of soccer or netball. They play together, compete with other groups. And that way they, they remain together. And uh, there's one thing that I, I don't know, I am I, sure I have forgotten to tell you. At the recruitment, the best way to identify another child who is vulnerable is to use them. Ask them to lead us to the next vulnerable child. And that unit, knowing that they all come from poverty, poverty is their identification. They would want each and every one amongst themselves to be successful and move away from poverty. So at identification, when you use uh, another vulnerable child to identify another vulnerable child, what we call snowballing, right. it has a huge effect. And the other, the, 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 they will always remember each other for having remembered each other. They say, if it were not you, I could have been forgotten because I stayed too far away. But you remembered me because I dropped out of school when my parents died. Thank you for bringing me into the program. So they will form a neat group and they will always look out for each other. They are their brothers' keepers and their sisters' keepers. And uh, we promote uh, exchange visits so that they, we will continue to encourage each other to do better. Because uh, in any group, you find someone who is excelling you get mediocres and you get somebody really slow. So we encourage a lot of uh, project visits, exchange visits so that they learn from each other. And because they stay within the, com- the same community, they can also do their own individual visit. Having been inspired, they will make create time on their own to go and visit that successful somebody. And that on its own uh, binds them together. The dream chat sharing I've already talked about. Uh, that I explained, they always also have moments of uh, celebration where they realize this one is done very well. They come together and they celebrate. Uh, and uh, we have those that do not have uh, too many siblings, but they have big fields, so they grow. For instance, when they grow maize harvesting because they don't have uh, equipment to harvest the maize. So they come together as group to do what we call mutual help. They come as group and they harvest at the families together. And usually I have witnessed several of them. And when those activities happen, when they come and help each other, the host will cook a meal for all the members. And uh, they also invite some of the members to assist in the cooking. Because remember, you'll be cooking for about 28 people or 30. And uh, usually when they do that, from their own gardens, each will come with some leaves of vegetables. Someone can bring a, a portion of cooking oil. And then the other person can bring uh, the cereal cooking. Uh, mm-hmm. okay. So it's a wonderful setup where we, where you find Uh, children with one identity, coming together and uh, having no boundaries at all, but seeking to help each other at those uh, special occasions.
1: Sounds sounds very similar to the kingdom of God and the banquets of the kingdom of God, where they came and they brought and they were... I love, Barbara, when you said, I remember you because you remember me. If that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't know what is.
4: And the group arrangement is designed in such a way that whatever a member does benefits individual groups. So there is commonality in sharing. If someone is growing vegetables and they are selling very well, they immediately share within the group that this is doing, is making good money, let's all do it and if there's need for anybody who realizes that i have a bumper harvest they also go and assist even in the marketing so through savings and mutual help activities you find that the group stays together and they look out for each other almost every day
1: that's amazing so so tell us the powers in the group, right? Um, one of the things, Miriam, we, we've tried to do that here with East Winter Garden um, with the families we work out with Maxi. and they're really bonded in a lot of ways. But the problem we have here, and and Barbara, you may experience it there, is the systems outside, whether it's city governments or our process and procedures, sometimes work against the people. Miriam, um, do I have am I saying that correctly?
2: Yes, absolutely. Although there is the bonding with the, within the group, um, sometimes the group feel um, they experience barriers that are there with the policies or some of the rules and regulations that are put um, for everybody. But they are still barriers um, for some of our families. But they do. do yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: go ahead.
2: Go ahead, Miriam. But one thing that we really appreciate uh, and um, would like to learn from the ZOE model is that not just at government level, but at the village level, you bring the whole community, the village chiefs, the government uh, actually is a, um, a really um, huge partner for your program. So how, how does that process work? Okay.
4: Um, apparently, yes, divisions are always there, barriers are always there, but uh, in our situation where you find the government has not done much in terms of development in the rural areas, when they see partners like ZOE Empowers, they feel ZOE is now a panacea to the problems that they have been having within their communities. Our communities have been neglected, and the rural development is lagging behind. For instance, in terms of education, most children in the rural areas do not go to school because there's no government support. The clinics are not resourced, so people will resort to go to traditional healers or use herbs. So when organizations like the Zoe Partners comes in, they embrace them. Because at least they will know in this particular community, we know for the three years, there's not going to be a problem of this nature because Zoe has worked very well. We now have a historical past that testifies to the work that we we, we do. We have 11 years of experience and they know in each community where we have worked, we have left a huge elephant footprint, which shows the huge work that we have done. So in our area, the government is very supportive. And the trick that we do is when we are in the communities, we know how manipulated uh, the poor are. So we work with the traditional leadership, these structures that are on the ground, and we tell them this program is for these vulnerable children. We, We will be working closely with them, And and no one outside the identified categories of vulnerability will benefit. And they have now understood that this program is targeted at the beneficiaries and uh, it's intended to stay only for three years. And after that, it it won't last. So the barriers, they've sort of fizzled out. If there had been somebody who wanted to manipulate the system so that they divert the assistance to them it has failed because we also recruit our mentors from the community to monitor the project when we are not there. And the traditional leadership also endorse the list, the vulnerability list of children. And they confirm these children have been poor, they've been orphaned, and they've been struggling. So they are also keen to see these children out of the miseries that they have made. ZOE complements uh, government uh, efforts. Uh, we, we come out very clear, we are not a political organization. We are only coming in to complement government of effort. So They have seen that because we now have a record that shows this is exactly what we have been doing. It works in co- collaboration with our traditional leaders and the other opinion leaders within the community, including churches. They are part of the community that we work with. Uh, Because of the realization that Zoe is doing well, the traditional leaders have actually given us land for free for our groups to use in order to increase food security. And with regards to workshop venues, or if we want to have any trainings, the community structures are availed to Zoe Empowers Zimbabwe for free, because they know the program has an impact at the end of the day. And uh, it's, this has helped because even when we have conflict, conflict is easily managed because we are very transparent in what we do as Zoe Empowers. And that on its own provides a, a security or a fence around the children who are recruited in the Zoe program.
1: That's incredible. I love you said you said it was a panacea for the community, yes. which is so powerful and that historically yeah. you've you've left a mark. You in fact you said you leave a huge elephant footprint. Exactly. All right, Saint Luke's. We can do that yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure you will. Anne? I just it just became aware to me,
3: one of the things the, I've seen Zimbabwe, Zoe, just do so many incredible things, responding to need of isolated children. And Barbara, I just read a memo uh, about what Dennis had done to particularly reach uh, a sector of your population, which were, I think, special needs children um, I mean, in could you just, just give one, that's just one example of what I've seen you do since I've known you of how you guys address kids who are isolated, kids that are totally shunned. Could you just speak yeah. to that just for a minute?
4: Yes, um, social exclusion of the disabled. That, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that, that is a, a serious case where we realize that in our communities, uh, disability, is hidden, It's not easily talked about. And as a, re- as a result, it increases vulnerability. Most uh, disabled are isolated, just like the vulnerable, poor and uh, orphaned. So in, in a way to try and understand where this is coming from, our officer, namely Dennis, actually embarked on a program. He went to, to study. And understand vulnerability and how we can incorporate it in the Zoe program. So, we are also seeking to identify those households with a disability where we can identify an able bodied head of household who can also work so that the, the disabled can also have their rights observed and respected. Respect is key in, 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 in love and kindness. And uh, when you a community loses respect, then it loses everything because even the vulnerable will be trampled upon. So we identified disability as an issue that is increasing isolation of, uh, of children within communities. I don't know if I have spoken well to that one. If I answered you in.
3: Absolutely, thank you.
4: Thank you, thank you. In, in most of our households, if you go to rural community, because of, you know, the assistive devices, for instance, wheelchairs or walking sticks or hearing aids or spectacles, those items are very expensive and beyond the affordability of most households. So when disability is in the family, those uh, disabled uh, persons are hidden in the house because they associated disability with a case. They think it's a case you must have done something against God, and as a result, you have a disabled person in the home. So they are hidden in the home. And even if you carry out the statistics, uh, if you want to do enumeration at a household level, they will not include that disabled person because they say that person is. Uh, not productive and therefore not, uh, not not eligible to be enlisted as a member of the household. So we're trying to create awareness so that we have uh, the love of God that is, does not exclude anyone. We talk about uh, social inclusion of the disabled in any setup and we said we must come out in the open. If there's any need for those disabled persons for them to go to hospital, can we not support them? So this is the awareness that we are creating within our communities so that the disabled also have their rights respected and upheld.
1: Barbara, that's beautiful. We are studying the Gospel of Luke. Um, in which Jesus does that. he bring, He's constantly healing the people who were socially excluded and bringing them into community. So you just, again, shared such a powerful testimony that we can learn from. Yeah. Thank you so much.
4: So with, with, with the Zoe model, it would it, it, the Zoe model is about empowerment. So a head of household who is disabled is not necessary, would not qualify because remember, we go for garden projects, we do mutual help works together. He also, or she also participates in business, but because of their disability, they will not be able to do that. So what we do as uh, uh, the Zoe Empowers is, we work together with other organizations with special, speciality in helping the disabled. So we do what we call layering of services. So when we are in the field, and we realize that there's a particular household that is suffering, and the head of the household is disabled. We then refer the organization to go and assist that particular family. So, in a way, we are coming in a community and we are saying, communities, please feel free to tell us some of the handicaps that society in this community has so that we can refer them. To other organizations that can offer help. We also realize that the Zoe Empowers cannot go into a community and do everything.
1: Right.
4: A mammoth task. So we can only contribute to a transformation in a community. But working together with other civil society organizations, we can transform the communities. But for those households that we are working with, we can also confirm that we give Total transformation within the three year period that Zoe Empowers will be working
1: in. That's amazing. So, Miriam, how many how many Zoe children have we been a part of their partnering with them?
2: Oh, so from the beginning, um just St. Luke's, uh the sponsored by, by St. Lucas, uh, because we have other individuals outside of St. Luke's whom we collaborated with, but just from St. Luke's. Uh, we have been supporting um, 12 groups in Rwanda and Zimbabwe and that's 340 households and that makes up um, 1,050 children. So that's that's uh, the, the return on investment um, based on what Barbara is saying is evident and that's why we are really committed to this uh, ministry. And the the lessons that we learn, right?
1: <laughs> right, Barbara. Can we meet the young people that are there with you again?
4: Yes.
1: Oh. Hi. If you'll tell us your name and the group, the family group that you're with. My name is Panache. I'm from Abundance Group. And you're in your third year, correct? Yeah, I'm in third year. And so, what are your what are your businesses? As for me,
4: I'm I I'm mean I'm an adventure in buying and selling of of second-hand uh, clothes and shoes.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. And so, how many how many people are in your family group?
4: In, in my group. Say it again. You mean in my group?
1: Yes. Uh, I don't have.
4: I'm only one.
1: Okay. All right. Um. And who else is with you today?
4: He's also my colleague.
1: Yes. Can she introduce herself? <laughs> I know we have to translate. Barbara, let oh. me
3: ask you while while you're getting help fixing that. You were talking to was it Manache that you were talking to? Who's a third year? Was that his dream chart that we saw? Yes, that was his dream. Okay. chart. OK, I just wanted to ask because he was talking off screen. And so that was his dream chart of a third year, someone who's entering the third and final year of the program. Is that correct? Correct. And he is from one of the groups that St. Luke supports in Zimbabwe. Abundance.
4: Yes, St. Yes. Yeah. Luke supports a uh, well, abundance group, yes. Mm-hmm. You Luke currently supports four groups from Zimbabwe. Great. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. All right, it's a. Uh, 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 Go
1: ahead.
4: Okay. Ah, uh, we have Roomie. She's introducing herself. Great. And she she
3: is from the Precious Group, and she's a in her first year. Is that correct? Yes.
2: Yes.
1: And I understand that you have that. One of the things that you do is that you have a razor and you're becoming a hairstylist, right? you cutting hair. Yes, yeah.
2: good.
1: Yes, cut. yes, Good, well, I can't wait to meet you because it looks like hopefully, maybe we're taking a trip there soon. Um, and so maybe we'll get to have a chance and we'll have some of our, especially our men ready to get a haircut. How about that? Yeah, sure. She's heavy. She's already anticipating some coming. That would be wonderful. We would take video. That would be so wonderful.
2: Yes. That would be great. Um,
1: Miriam or Ann, do you have anything else that you want to add? Well, I kind of just wanted to ask, Ravitsa. She's a first year. She's
3: just starting the three-year journey, and I want to say, I want to ask what her dream was. What did? What does she dream for her future?
4: We also, let me ask you, and then I'll translate. She brought a dream chat as well. Oh, good. Oh, can you see it? Yeah. But just, just tell us what her
3: dream is. Yeah. I'm just curious. Right. What's the girl dream of?
4: Uh, what made you said the death of her parents? And then what she likes is going to church, and what you want to say? and playing netball. And then w- w- what she doesn't like, uh, to see people fighting. And, uh, yeah. and she doesn't like people who gossip. <laughs> Good for <laughs> then, her. <laughs> then uh, her dream for the future, this year it
2: so.
4: She says she also wants to build their own home. And then she also wants to buy goats. She also wants to buy cows. Cows and goats are a form of wealth in the rural. Because you can actually invest, and then when you run dry, you can sell one and get money, pick money. And then this. Their dream for the future is to come to have uh, more food because in the past they used to take turns to eat, but when Zoe came, they are now eating almost every day. And then this, mm-hmm. okay, and then she also has uh, the barber, the 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 clip that she is using now to cut men's hair, and these days you will also have females who are deciding to go bold. So this, the clip is working for males as well as females.
0: And
2: right.
4: then principles are, she's saying, for me to achieve a better future, she has to remain prayerful and respecting elders in the community and listening to their advice, mm-hmm. as well as listening to other group members. Those are guiding principles.
3: Barbara, when did her group start? When did the precious group start? Was it this year?
4: October. So it's class two of 2021.
3: Okay. So it started in October of 2021. That was the group that we fundraised for with our 5K last year. Very exciting. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Miriam, do you have anything?
2: Yeah, I just want to a huge thank you for for Barbara and um, and both of the, the students who are there. Uh, you took us to church, so thank you so much for that. Really powerful stories and um, principles that you shared with us. I just want to tell you that when we started the microfarm at Saint Luke's, uh, the unfortunate thing was we started it in the midst of the pandemic in twenty twenty. And the model is exactly what we envisioned and learned from Zoe that we want to bring to the community. But it's taken yes. us a while to, to really bring the whole community around those. But I took some notes today and in front of everybody and in front of you, this is what I'm, I, I think we're gonna be doing because the dream charts, if we involve the community in the dream charts, and guiding uh, the guiding principles for each farm area, and the group agreement accountability, but most importantly, celebrating. You reminded us today how celebration is really a key part of bringing community. So we promise you that we've learned these lessons today. Uh, You reminded us in a powerful way. So we are looking forward to incorporate this in our own ministry so thank you for the gift
4: thank you very much we remain very thankful for all the support that you gave. you are giving us and uh, we pray that you continue to extend the territory and we you have more people to support the zoe program in that way we also learn. and thank you i know anne took me to your church i was welcomed in such a huge manner i really am grateful to the welcome the hospitality that i got
1: when i visited america thank you very much thank you barbara and st lucers we want you to bye St. Lucas, we want you to know that we're going to be sharing some of this podcast throughout uh, October and November, because we are going to be doing our Advent um, offering and our Christmas Eve offering is going to be um, supporting Zoe and starting new um, groups. So we want you to be a part of it. If you'd like to know more, um, there's going to be some information sessions coming up, or you can always reach out to Anne or myself or Miriam, and we'd love to help you get involved with this incredible incredible, incredible empowerment mission. So thank, thank you, Barbara, you. for joining us and for the thank kids. You God's you. blessings on you Thank you very much. Thank and you. we'll see you soon.
4: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We pray that you visit us soon.
2: Excellent. Oh, we will. We will. Thank yeah. you. All right. Bye. Bye. Looking forward to that. Bye. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you.